All right, Revelation chapter 16. John said, I heard a loud voice from the temple say to the seven angels, go and pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth and horrible and painful sores came on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshiped his image. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it became blood like that of a dead man and every living creature in the sea died. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and the springs of water and they turned into blood. And I heard the angel of the water say, you are righteous, the one who is and who was the holy one because you have made these judgments because they poured out the blood of saints and prophets. You have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. And I heard the incense altar saying, yes, Lord God almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and it was allowed to burn people with fire. People were scorched by the fierce heat. Then they blasphemed the name of God who had authority over these plagues, but they did not repent and give him praise. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. The beast kingdom was darkened. People gnawed their tongues in their torment. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their torments and their sores, but they did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river, the Euphrates. Its water was dried up to repair the way for the kings coming from the east. I saw three unclean spirits like frogs, which came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are, in fact, miracle-working demonic spirits, which go out to the kings of the whole earth to bring them together for the battle on the great day of the Almighty God. Look, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes on so that he does not walk around naked and his shame is not seen. Then they brought them together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl on the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, and crashes of thunder. There was also a great earthquake of a kind that has not occurred since mankind has been on the earth. And the great city split into three parts, and the cities of the nations collapsed. Babylon the great was remembered by God, and he gave her the wine cup filled with his fierce wrath. Every island vanished, and the mountains could no longer be found. Massive hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell on people from the sky, and the people blasphemed God because of the plague of hail, because the plague was so severe. All right, so let's explain that the visions there unless you picked, all, picked up on it all. No. Uh, it is scary. And we've heard this before. So again, what we've said with Revelation is just the same kind of visions over and over again, but just with greater intensity and on different people. So we heard these kinds of visions before with the, uh, the seven trumpets in chapters 8, 9, and 11. Uh, as they did there, the judgments strike the land, the sea, the inland waters, and the heavens. In these visions that John sees, though, of the bulls, the destruction is total. And the, uh, whereas before, with the trumpets, the judgments were partial. They're just warning judgments. These judgments are striking the unbelievers who refuse to repent. So what is the result of each bowl? So what's the first bowl? Painful sores. Okay. Yeah, so this first angel is pouring out his bowl on the earth, and then there's these painful sores. Uh, and it harms those who have the mark of the beast. So we saw earlier in chapter 13. The second bowl. What's the result of that bowl? What time period are we talking about here? Well, this would be, this is just talking about judgment day. This is really, see, the difficulty is that judgment day, as it is described elsewhere in scripture, is in, in a moment, in the blink of an eye. It's judgment day. But this is saying about just how bad this is going to be. Kind of, you know, if you would imagine it all being poured out in slow motion. Okay. 
keep it sketching like all at once. So it's not like a certain time period and then. Right. Okay. Yeah. And again, this is all symbolic language too. So the second bowl is affecting the sea. You know, back in with the trumpet, the second trumpet only affected part of the sea. Now here it's affecting all of the sea. The third bowl is affecting the springs of water as they're turning into blood. The fourth bowl, what is it affecting? Yeah, so it's affecting the sky and the sun as the sun is scorching all the unbelievers. Why is verse six kind of difficult for us as Christians to read, but also when you really think deeply about it, beneficial for us as Christians to read? Because they poured out the blood of saints and prophets, you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. Why is it difficult for us? Well, true, but this is going to be poured out on the unbelievers. Yeah, I'm thinking of a different different reaction, though. Okay, you guys are taking it way different than I was thinking. I didn't think it was that hard. <laughs> is it's it's hard for us because? Yeah. Well, they're gonna be people we know. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and the reason what I was thinking of was it's hard for us as Christians because this sounds like revenge, doesn't it? Yeah. And we're not about revenge. And yet, then the follow-up question is, why is this good for us as Christians to hear this? Okay, yeah. We don't, we're not getting what we truly deserve. Uh, grace, what is the definition that you've always learned for grace? Undeserved love. What's the definition for mercy? Oftentimes we say they're the same. So what I've taught is grace is getting what uh, you do not deserve. And mercy is not getting what you deserve. It sounds the same, but it's, it's different. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Heaven, forgiveness of sins. Mercy is, ne is not getting what you do deserve, which is hell. So, you know, when you hear the pastor begin the sermon, grace, mercy, and peace to you. And because you have grace and mercy, now you have peace. And what Robin's saying here is, yeah, we're not getting what we deserve. But there's another aspect to it, is as we face persecution, as we see in Revelation 12 and 13, as the dragon of the devil and his beasts of the government that persecutes Christians and his apostate church, they're working together, tandem. You'll hear about that in the sermon on Sunday for Christ the King here at this campus is they're working on us as Christians, tempting and tormenting us. And what, what is John seeing is going to happen to them and all those who follow and worship the two beasts and the dragon? Punish. They're going to get what's coming to them. And there, when I was studying this, I thought of uh, the song uh, after 9-11, Toby Keith wrote the uh, courtesy of the red, white, and blue. So here's just a couple of words from that. Uh, hey, Uncle Sam, put your name at the top of his list. And the Statue of Liberty started shaking her fist. And the eagle will fly, man. It's going to be hell when you hear Mother Freedom start ringing her bell. And it feels like the whole wide world is raining down on you, brought to you courtesy of the red, white, and blue. Justice will be served and the battle will rage. This big dog will fight when you rattle his cage and you'll be sorry that you messed with the US of A because it'll put a boot in your blank. It's the American way. Why did Americans really enjoy that song right after 9-11? I know that was 20 years ago. Well, they were angry while they were at them and they wanted to get even. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it's okay for us to and have a righteous anger to get even. That's what's under, we need to understand here. God is the one who's going to get even for us. That's what, that's what these uh, bowls of wrath being poured out on the unbelievers are all about. God is uh, showing his justice. Okay. Uh, all these first few balls, I can't get past kind of like the literal. What is this? What are we talking about? The sores and the sea turning red and the river turning red. All right. So, good point. Again, Revelation is just using Old Testament imagery. Where do you hear about sores and the, uh, and the water turning red and so forth? Egypt. So God is bringing the plagues from Egypt out on the earth. Are talking about back then? No, no, he, but he's using that imagery from uh, Exodus with the plagues and then using that same imagery of how God brought uh, a mighty nation, the mightiest nation in the, in the world at that time to its knees, wiped out its army, wiped out its, its king in a single moment. Just showing what God can do in judgment day. Mm -hmm. Yep. So we're talking about beyond where we are now. Right, right. Yeah. And then there's that imagery of taking a bowl, you know, something hot and whatever, and just dumping it out on someone. And then another one. Yeah, I was talking to the people of this time. Mm -hmm. They would understand what he's saying about God's wrath. Yeah. Okay, yeah, but. It applies to all time. Right. Yep. Where do we hear the saints? And this means you and me speak the words of approval uh, on all God is doing. Make it verse seven. Okay. Yeah. So we've heard this before. So. Uh, and I heard this incense altar. So there we've heard before that the saints are under that altar. The incense is their prayers. Uh, in a, so this is then symbolizing all of God's people who are agreeing with the words of the angels. And like I said before, Christians are looking at these judgment, judgments that God is pouring out on the world. And we agree that they're just. And we have... Uh, we're not going to complain and say that God has no right to do what he's doing. He is going to bring down his justice. The fourth ball concerning the sun. And, and uh, yeah, again, it's just imagery of. Yeah, yeah, forecast of global warming. No, it's not a forecast of global warming. <laughs> so for example, of, uh, of that wrath. So, you know, right after our nation turned over Afghanistan to the Taliban, you know, left everything there. And I happened, then I was with Belle and a couple of her friends at the Kenosha County Fair. We were sitting there watching uh, the truck pulls and tractor pulls. And, and I'm watching, looking at all the people there. And I'm guessing a lot of them probably were carrying, you know, carrying guns. And if not, they probably had them in their vehicles or definitely at home. And, I, and just looking at the t-shirts that both the men and the women were wearing. And I was just thinking, you know what? If the Taliban ever tried to do what they're you know, doing over there, over here, you know, at least at the Kenosha County Fairgrounds, it's not gonna fly, yeah. okay? Because the, our own people are going to retaliate and God's going to use them to bring about that judgment. And that's where we as Christians, we thank God. It's a difficult prayer to pray. But we, but we pray that when we pray, like thy kingdom come in the Lord's prayer, we're praying that God's kingdom squashes the kingdom of the dragon and the beast. And that means bringing down judgment and justice. And that's what all these are saying. Uh, and then we get into the other bowls, uh, the fourth and fifth bowls. Again, uh, there we see uh, that these are very similar to uh, the plagues of Egypt, the blood, the painful sores, the darkness. So these are referring to anything that's going to happen to the unbelieving world as part of God's final judgment. Uh, it almost sounds like that fifth bowl is describing hell. 
So the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. The beast's kingdom was darkened. People gnawed their tongues and their torment. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their torments and their sores, but they did not repent of their deeds. Uh, so if we're going to compare the bowls to the trumpets, the fifth trumpet, we remember seeing the, the imagery, and I had the pictures up on the screen of the locusts. Remember the locusts with the, the human heads and the teeth and the crowns and the scorpion tails? I know that was several weeks ago. Do you remember what those locusts represented? Those are false teachers. So here, if uh, the fifth bowl, again, if all these bowls are the same as the trumpets, except more intense, what is God pouring out on the unbelievers? There's going to be even more false teachings. Do you see more false teachings in our culture right now? Like what? Yeah. LGBTQ. Pro-abortion. <laughs> so I, I heard I heard one podcaster talk about uh, LGBTQ and Antifa and BLM, and he called it the alphabet mafia. Uh, that was an interesting way of calling it. You know, and there you have you know what are we what are being taught in our culture? You know that men can be women, women can be men, and you can't say one thing about about it uh, because otherwise you're labeled as bigoted in some way yep. Yep. and and all of these and i think these would be classified as locusts you know all these false teachings it doesn't have to be in the church it's in our culture but then when we as a church we don't speak up about it we just kind of accept it we keep our heads down trying to just uh, so that we're not being bothered by it. But notice how bad this gets, gets that the, the unbelievers that it's affecting, they're gnawing their tongues. You know, that's how painful it is. Yep. Kind of taking a narrow image if we just look at our country because this applies to people throughout the world. So yeah. these false teachings are in every country. Sure, they're different. So you're not going to have the LGBTQ stuff. That's not going to fly anywhere else except here and in Europe. No. So what would be the false teachings in an Arab country? Yeah. Killing anyone that's not the right Arab that's not Christian. Yeah. Infidels. And and that's not just we think you know, the, the Muslim, you know, out in the Middle East, but that's all over Africa, it's India, and so forth. It's millions and billions of people that are trapped by these false gods, these locusts, uh, in, uh, India with their Hindu worship and so forth. Whereas, so Jeff Zondag is our president of the congregation. His son was recently recently graduated from Mar from uh, the seminary, and I think he's going to the Philippines or something like that. But I remember listening to a, a video that they had an interview with him, and he said like less than 1% of that, uh, wherever he's going, that population is Christian. It may be Thailand, yeah. Yeah, but less than 1%. And so then you've got 99% of the population is this, is with the locusts. So that, you know, we have our own demons, you know, the frogs that are coming up next, just the same thing as the idea of the locusts. We have, uh, we have those that we have to deal with here in America, but over in other nations, it's going to be even more intense. And then that's what God's talking about is in these last days, he's just going to pour this out. Verse 16, verse 14, uh, the frogs there are demonic spirits who incite rulers to attack God's people. Can you think of, of ideas in the history of our 
of our country, not our country, of the world, where evil spirits were behind governments and leaders. What's that? Okay. But to think of like uh, in this culture, when Paul or when John is writing Revelation, it was a Roman emperor worship. You had to your your papers that you worshipped the Roman emperor. I remember preaching a sermon a while ago. This is this is a couple of years ago of uh, one of the early martyrs, and he was such a great saint that the Roman soldiers that came to him said, just say that you worship the emperor and we'll let you go. And he wouldn't do it. They took him all the way to burn him in the Colosseum, you know, burn him alive. He refused to do that. But that would be one example. Another one would be Soviet atheism. Just, you know, atheism was their God. And we talked before about Islam. You know, so these demons have great power, these frogs, they can do supernatural things, but they're not almighty like the true God. Then there's Armageddon. So this is the place where the enemies of God are all going to gather together to attack God's people. It is symbolical of Satan's final onslaught against God's church. So the literal name for Armageddon is uh, Megiddo. Or and that's Mount Carmel, the site where there's a crucial pass between Egypt and Mesopotamia. And there are a lot of great battles that took place there. If you ever have an opportunity to go to Israel, and I encourage you to take a tour with one of our Wells pastors that's, that go over there, uh, one of the first places they may take you, because it was a, the very first place that we went on our tour was up Mount Carmel. We couldn't see anything because it was foggy that day, but it was really still it was still really cool. But Mount, Mount Carmel, what happened on Mount Carmel? Yeah, so that's Elijah and the prophets of Baal, putting the four hundred fifty prophets of Baal to death after the contest between which one was the true God, the God that rained down fire from heaven. And so that's a sim symbolic then, to, that really happened, but now that's symbolic of a battle between the false gods of Satan and the true God. Uh, so Armageddon here serves as a symbol of the ongoing battle by Satan's forces against God's people. But that battle is going to be intensified at the end. Uh, and it's going to seem like Satan and his agents are going to win. And yet the victory will be God's. And so therefore that victory is going to be ours. What does the seventh bowl bring on the world? Yeah. The end. It ushers in the destruction of the world. that the great city Jerusalem, the symbol of all that stands against Christ, uh, collapses. Babylon the Great, and we're going to see about Babylon over the next two chapters, today's study, and then in two weeks, uh, that Babylon, which is the Antichrist, is destroyed. And then verses 17 through 21 are filled with the visions of doom and destruction. So when will this great day of God Almighty come? Like a thief in the night. So what does that mean? A thief in the night? You don't know. You don't know. So you need to be prepared. So right after, so again, it, I always remind you, if you want to know Revelation, just keep reading Matthew chapter 24 and 25. In fact, you know, again, for the sermon on Sunday, that's when can be referring to of Matthew 24. Matthew 24, he Jesus lays everything out of uh, the end times and then the last day. But then right after he says that, then you've got Matthew 25. It's kind of neat the way it, Matthew 25 follows Matthew 24. So Matthew 24, he lays out all of the events of the end times. And then Matthew 24, 5, he gives you two parables. 
the parable of the virgins. You get five that are ready because the bridegroom is late in coming and five that aren't ready and they run out of oil. What's the point of that vision, that parable? Be prepared. Have your oil ready. That oil is either God's word or your faith. Okay? Make sure that you have enough oil to last when the bridegroom comes. Because in our way of thinking, it's late. It's midnight. It's coming. And if you're like me, you can't stay up to midnight anymore. Okay, you're going to fall asleep. Like Shelly and I were thinking, hey, you know, you know, Bella's staying at a friend's house. Uh, so it's just going to be the two of us. So 930. Well, we're going to party. We're going to bed. You know, nice. <laughs> it's, and, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to stay awake. It's hard to be ready. But you have to make sure that you have the faith. And you have your oil lamp burning. And then the next parable is Jesus on his throne separating the sheep from the goats, those that were ready from those who weren't. So again, and that's what this is saying here. This is talking about the unbelievers who weren't ready because they didn't have faith. It's any similar in the first paragraph when I read it. It, re it reminded me of Jesus dying on the cross. It says, it is John, and he has a lightning and a passion. That's a good point. I hadn't, I hadn't seen that, so I don't know. So do we hmm. take the do we take judgment day as a literal one day, 24 hours? Or is it a period of time? The way Paul describes it in 1 Thessalonians 4. Well, why don't we just turn to that? First Thessalonians chapter four. Did Pastor Lightning preach on this on Sunday? First uh, seventeen twenty seven in your EHV. First Thessalonians four verse thirteen. Paul writes, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who have fallen asleep so that you do not grieve in the same way as the others who have no hope. Indeed, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, then in the same way, we also believe that God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep through Jesus. In fact, we tell you this by the word of the Lord, we who are alive and left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not go on ahead of those who have fallen asleep. The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Uh, so there it's talking, well, I guess we can just keep going to the chapter 5. Concerning the times and dates, brothers, there is no need to write to you, for you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. When people are saying peace and security, destruction will suddenly come on them, the labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will certainly not escape. But you, brothers, are not in the dark so that this day uh, takes you by surprise like a thief, for you are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night of the dark or the darkness. So then... Let us not sleep like everyone else, but rather let us remain alert and sober. So how do those words of Paul, that are very clear, uh, fit into this, fit into what we're talking about with the bulls? Be ready. Be ready? Like it's short, maybe like a day or, you know, I think at the end of times, there is no such thing as time maybe anymore because of the instant. That's, and see, that's the thing is, it's hard for us to understand that our creatures that are bound by time to understand what happens when judgment day comes. And if Jesus turns off the clocks, there's no time. Um, I just wanted to go back to that verse 14, mm -hmm. um, where it says, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. So, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep. Does that mean that 
the, the people that are in heaven already, the souls that are in heaven are coming down with him and will be reunited with the body, only their body now will be um, together with the soul. I see people with yeah. glorified bodies. Right. Rather than yeah, so, so two things on that. Uh, one is that, you know, you know, when you, when you die and we talk about, you know, say like uh, Bill Tempe, he died and his soul went to be with the Lord in heaven. The angels took his soul to be at Abraham's bosom. You remember the old King James thing. Are we saying that uh, at Abraham's side around Jesus throne in heaven? Or another way of looking at it is again, time stops and then Bill enters heaven the same moment that say Jim entered heaven and that you and I enter heaven because time has stopped for us and now we're all entering judgment at the same time. So those are two different ways of saying the same thing. Are those saints in heaven and now on judgment day, they come out of heaven and are standing before God's throne. And, but they're now their bodies are coming up and meeting with their souls or is it now, you know, those, you know, Adam and St. Paul and Bill and us, even though we all die at different times, we're all on judgment day at exactly the same time. Different Lutheran dogmaticians, teachers have said different things because scripture, you know, doesn't say because the point isn't like, what is it going to be like? It's going to be that we're with Jesus. Uh, and before what I was going to say too, at the time, Remember, uh, this is one of the first movies to be able to do this. If you remember Matrix, you know, one of the th things that was so interesting with uh, Keanu Reeves' character in there of him like being able to go in slow motion around the bullets, right? He's going like this. Well, it's because like time had stopped for him. You know, just again, we have no concept of time stopping. And so even though, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, that this all happens in the, in the twinkling of an eye, you know, faster than you can blink, an eternity. And, and we can't even, we can't even comprehend that. I think the thought too is God only has, has given us enough information that we could understand and we can't understand it. Yeah. That's all I was Yep. Yeah, the, the illustration I used with Miriam the other day as we were talking about a difficult doctrine that uh, she didn't get what her pastor was saying. I said, well, don't blame the pastor. He's only been out a year. You know, he's, he's not going to be able to, this, this teaching is difficult. I said, but I've been doing this for 25 years. And I said, and I'm not going to be as good as uh, Professor Brug, who's been doing it on a professor level for 50 years. Okay. And these things are difficult. And, but the way I explain it to her, because she's a farmer at heart, is it's like taking a hay wagon and putting it in, into the barn. You bring in one load, you lay, lay the rectangle bags, the bales down, and then you do another load and another load until you finally get full uh, from the top to the bottom, or from the bottom to the top. But it takes a long time to fill up. And it's the same way with all of these doctrines. Like Larry said, you know, read through Revelation, and then you read it again. Because I studied this on Sunday night just to be prepared for this. And I'm coming in here, and I'll be honest, I came in here again. Man, I have no idea what these goals mean anymore. I studied it, and this is the fourth time I've studied this for the podcast and for this and so forth. But yeah, it's hard. But layer after layer until you finally get it. And you may never get it totally full. Well, let's go on to... Uh, go back to Revelation chapter 17. Yeah, and again, using that imagery from the plague, from the plagues of Egypt. It doesn't say how big the hailstones were, but it was hail that destroyed everything, destroyed the crops and so forth. Just another example of what God can do. Yep. Mm -hmm. all right chapter 17 one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke to me he said come i will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is sitting on many waters 
The kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality with her, and those who make their home on the earth have become drunk on the wine of him of her immorality. The angel carried me in spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was clothed with purple and scarlet and was adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. In her hand was a gold cup full of abominations and the filth of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead, this name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of the prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw that this woman was drunk from the blood of the saints and the blood of Jesus' martyrs. When I saw her, I was greatly amazed. And the angel said to me, Why are you amazed? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her. The one that has seven heads and ten horns, the beast that you saw, he existed, is no more, and he is about to come out of the abyss and go to destruction. Those who make their home on the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world, will be amazed when they see the beast, because he existed, is no more, and will exist again. A mind that has wisdom is needed here. The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman is sitting. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, one is, the other has not yet come. But when he comes, he must remain for a little while. The beast that existed and is no more is the eighth king, which is one of the seven and is going to go to destruction. Then 10 horns that you saw are 10 kings who have not yet received a kingdom. But along with the beast, they will receive authority like kings for one hour. They share one purpose and they will give their power and authority to the beast. They will wage war against the lamb, but the lamb will overcome them because he is the Lord of lords and king of kings. Those who are with them are the called, the elect, and the believing. The angel also said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is sitting are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. The ten horns and the beast that you saw will hate the prostitute and will call her to be abandoned and naked. They will also eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose, namely to agree to give their royal authority to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. The woman whom you saw is a great city that rules over the kings of the earth. All right. So what are we talking about here? Yes. I don't know if there's any symbolism necessarily in saying that uh, that the the three parts just that it's it's broken, you know the Jerusalem that had uh, that had uh, attacked God's people is now broken. So I don't know if there's really anything necessary in that. Three specific pieces. And then they, and then it goes to Babylon, the Great was remembered by God. Um, what is that? So Babylon the Great is going to be is another name for the great prostitute that we get to in chapter 17. So that's what we're going to look at next. Uh, so in chapter 12, we saw a picture of the faithful bride, the true church. But now what do we see? The prostitute, the unfaithful church, the adulterous bride. So what is the prostitute? So when you start when you get the idea of who or what this prostitute is named Babylon, and I'll explain in a little bit what Babylon means, then, you, then this all starts becoming clear. So who or what is the prostitute? Papacy. Yeah, the papacy of false teachings, right? This is the enemy of Christ. This is the Antichrist who's called the man of sin elsewhere. So the Bible says that there are going to be many Antichrists, plural, uh, who try to take Christ's place and who set themselves up against Christ. Now, we read that in 2 John chapter 1. Uh, but it, it also says that there is going to be one great Antichrist who surpasses all the others. And he is described in 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 to 12. I think we can turn back to that. Yeah. 
So 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The man of sin, starting with verse 3. So you have to look at, this is someone that was there coming into its own or his own at the time of Paul and is still going to be around at the end of the world. Okay, so it's obviously not going to be one single person, but even Daniel talks about this in his visions. Verse three, let no one deceive you in any way because that day will not come until the falling away from, the, from first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of destruction, he opposes and exalts himself above everyone who is called God or every object of worship. So that he sits in the temple of God, displaying himself as God. Do not remember that while I was still with you, I kept calling you these things. And now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed in his own time. In fact, the mystery of this lawlessness is already at work, but only until the one who is now holding him back moves out of the way. Then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy when he appears in splendor at his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan, with every kind of miracle that is with false signs and wonders and with every kind of unrighteousness that deceives those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. And because of this, God continues to send them a strong delusion so that they believe the lie in order that all those may be condemned to refuse to believe the truth, but instead delighted in unrighteousness. So this man of sins, man of sin, uh, who, who is this? No, well, Tim already mentioned it. it's the, the papacy. And you see that from, from Paul's words in 2 Thessalonians, verse 4. He opposes and exalts himself above everyone who is called God or every object of worship so that he sits in the temple of God displaying himself as God. So how would the papacy, the Pope, declare himself as God? What does he call himself? Yeah, the vicar of Christ. And think of the way, think of, you know, what we, what we celebrate at Reformation. What was Luther trying to get at with the Reformation? When it comes to the authority of, of Scripture. Because what was, what was and is the Catholic Church, the papacy, teach about the authority of Scripture. Where is the authority in the Catholic Church? The Pope. Because we have our Lutheran confessions, and I'll encourage you to read the Lutheran confessions. I'll encourage you every Sunday to say the creed, because those are statements of what we believe. But which is greater, the, our confessions or scripture? Scripture. So if we, if we have a question of how do we do this, or what should we do in this situation, we go to scripture. Then we look at our confessions, both the old ones, you know, from the 1500s and our newer ones, but always go back to scripture. But with the Catholic Church and the papacy, what do they view? How do they rank scripture? They put it below the papacy. This is what the Pope has declared. Uh, and therefore, that's number one. And that's where Luther, when he says, I don't care what kings or councils have said or the papacy, you know, here I stand because it's on scripture. So when he calls himself the vicar of Christ. So what would be some teachings that are promoted by the papacy throughout the history of the Catholic Church that where Paul calls it, uh, you know, unrighteousness, strong delusion and so forth. Because we, because you and I would say, how can this be? We all have family members. Maybe we used to be Catholic, Roman Catholic. How could we say, wow, that there's all of this unrighteousness and delusions in within the Catholic Church? Give me some examples. Well, the thing right about the Catholic Church you know, is that they, you know, they're, they say the Apostles' Creed. They're, they're preaching the same as what mm -hmm. they say. 
not just almost, it is. Is uh, I think we give them too much credit by saying almost God. I have the Catholic catechism downstairs in my office. It calls Mary the co-redemptrix. They also, I think, believe that Mary was without sin. Mm -hmm. Yep. In order for Mary to be a co-redemptrix, and that's what the Catholic catechism calls her, a co-redeemer along with Christ. And if you have any family or friends that... Uh, that are Roman Catholic, they, they will be praying to Mary. They'll, they'll pray to Mary more so than Jesus. And if Mary is not a God, then it's praying to Satan. They've been captured by uh, a delusion. And it may not be quite as strong in America, in American Catholics, but if you talk to anyone who comes from, from Europe, from you know, Poland, very, very Catholic country from, from South America, from Mexico. It is Mariolatry. It is the worship of Mary. They don't know Jesus very well. They know Mary very well. And then that's a delusion. I think one of the biggest fallacies that I hear from Catholics is I believe I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person. Yeah. Um, and it comes back to what they themselves have done and not what Jesus has done for us. Exactly. Yep, they're X. And, you know, I was just talking to someone the other day, uh, and I invited her, since so she's sitting here for, for uh, her grandchild, grandchild is in our early autism project that meets here on Thursday mornings. And uh, I sat down with her yesterday and said, yeah, you know, you're here. Do you think you and the other moms will want to do Bible? She said, yeah, that's great. And then she said, yeah, I grew up Catholic, so I, I've never been to Bible study. Well, that, that sounds like very uh, most Catholics that I know. Okay, and, and that's something, one of my favorite Catholic stories, and I can talk about Catholics because my, my mom was Catholic. My, uh, in, in fact, I remember my grandfather's funeral, so this is how that is, is taught, and just very slightly and, and slyly. You know, my girls were a lot younger at my grandfather's funeral. And the priest said at the visitation, so they had the visitation the one night and the funeral the next day. And then at the visitation, uh, they said, well, uh, we, pray for, uh, we pray for John Parcham. And my girls are going, why are we praying for him? And we weren't thanking God for him because that's not what he said. He said, we're praying for him. And when we said, they said, because they think he's in purgatory. We have to pray for him to get him out of purgatory. And the next day, I, with, I'm the oldest of all of the grandchildren. And the grandsons were uh, the pallbearers. We took uh, the casket to, to the gravesite. And then I was standing there along with all my cousins. And I almost jumped up and started preaching because I was so mad at the priest. Because the last thing that anyone heard him say was, well, we know John's in heaven because he was a good husband and a good father and he, he was in the military and he worked really hard. It was based on his works, not his faith in Christ as a savior. There's a lot of confusion in the Catholic church here in the United States. Um, I, I for some number of years and got really good friends of Catholics and they awaken, you know, that's a lot of times, but there were people there that the Catholics there that um, went to Bible study every every week. I had there were some that said they were talking about purgatory and she said oh we don't believe that anymore oh. uh, I don't know but, but I've heard a lot of these different comments and I, I, I think there's a lot of confusion and I think there's a lot of Catholics that aren't really Catholic <laughs> I've heard it referred to as Catholic light Catholic yeah I've heard it referred to as Catholic light 
It's like Diet Coke. It's not quite the full thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, and part of that would be because they're not listening to the Pope. If they listen to the Pope, then they would be caught up in all of these illusions. So my encouragement to you then is that now is the time that you grab onto them because they are reading their Bibles. Uh, you know, I talked to someone, I think I mentioned this before, talked to someone recently was very upset with her Catholic church as a whole and the Pope. And I read to her, just explained to her some of the imagery in Revelation. And she said, she brought it up, she said, well, that's definitely the Pope talking about the Antichrist. I said, whoa, you're, you're almost Lutheran. Okay, when, and so when Roman Catholics see this, because, uh, because this, we don't want to be about bashing the Catholics, is that's not it. They're caught in these delusions. Uh, so this is uh, verse one, the great prostitute. So the prostitute is closely related to the beast from the earth also called the false prophet that we saw in Revelation 13. So she's a religious figure, as is a lamb who speaks like a dragon. Uh, so verse one, the many waters are many nations. In verse 15, the prostitute has worldwide power in many nations. Uh, and then let's look at some of the details of this prostitute. She committed adulteries with the kings of the earth. So the kings of the earth should be married to the king of kings, but instead they choose to consort with this woman. She's dressed in purple and scarlet. So she's taken the color of the world on which she rides. So notice, what is she riding? Which beast? It's the beast out of the sea. And what's the beast out of the sea? That's the government that persecutes Christians. So you see the imagery has changed a little bit. Revelation 13, the beast out of the sea is the persecuting government and the beast out of the earth is uh, the apostate church. Now we see the apostate church as this prostitute that's riding on the beast out of the earth, that government. But the key is they're working closely together. Uh, she, she holds a golden cup filled with abominable things. So she drinks what's shameful, a spirit of rebellion against Christ and a lust for more power and riches in the world. Uh, her name is Mystery, Babylon, mother of prostitutes. So many are going to mistake her for the true church. Uh, but she is pictured as Babylon. Babylon is the, uh, that nation that oppressed God's people for 70 years. So she's drunk with the blood of the saints. She's, she killed those who bore testimony against her. She's covered with gold and jewels. She grew rich from her adulteries. And there, you, know, you can think of the papacy, right? Mm -hmm. How wealthy is the papacy? And then uh, it's talking about the seven hills. But where is that? Rome. Rome. You know, this would... That would have been easy. You know, Larry said before that you know, Revelation could be you know, code language for the Christians that those in the Roman government and so forth, they can't pick up. Christians easily would have picked up. Uh, we don't know our, our geography very well. These guys would have. The seven hills that surround Rome. And that's where the papacy is, right? And, and has been. Uh, so there are also seven kings. Yeah, we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, but if, look at verse two. So then there's cooperation between the apostate church and the evil governments to persecute Christians. So think of times in the history of our world when the apostate church worked alongside the government to persecute Christians. Can you think of some? Well, the Jesuits back in the um, when they took the the Spanish Inquisition? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's one. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
burning John Huss at the stake. Uh, the the so-called Holy Roman Empire at the time of the Reformation. And there you've got the emperor, the Holy Roman Emperor, uh, Charles, that is working alongside of the Pope. And then the, the, you have the small called war after the Reformation. Aren't like all the popes in that era all corrupt? I mean, they're all also corrupt back then? Yeah. Yeah, and then you see this prostitute chase the uh, chasing the woman uh, out into the desert, or she goes out into the desert. Well, who's out in the desert? You got to go back a few chapters. Go back to Revelation twelve. It's not Jesus. It's Jesus' mother, who's not Mary. It's Who's the mother of Jesus in Revelation 12? It's the church. The church. So the Christian church goes out into the desert to get away from the dragon. And now what's happening? It's following. Do you kind of see all these things are fitting together? Uh, because you know, she's going out where the true church is found. Her sexual immorality is spiritual. It's not literal. Uh, and there you can think of, though, uh, or, or sexual immorality is spiritual, but it can also be literal. As you think of, uh, you know, the forced celibacy, for the priests in the Catholic Church. You can think of, uh, Larry brought up the corruption of the Renaissance popes. A movie that comes to mind with Sean Connery is The Name of the Rose. You remember that one? And, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, there, Sean Connery's character plays like a Sherlock Holmes type, yeah. type monk. But the big thing is there is a lot of corruption in that monastery, you know, and you know, if you study any history, you know, there's tunnels between the monasteries and the nunneries and so forth. Okay. Uh, and then you have the more recent sexual scandals within the Catholic Church. And then these five kings, they're, they're probably the those kingdoms that oppressed God's people in the past, like Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, and Greece. And then Rome is the one who is, the other who has not yet come is the papacy, which rises from Rome and claims superiority over the other kings. But what does it say toward the end? What's going to happen with, in the relationship between the woman and the beast? upon which she rides. Look at verse 16. So what's going to happen? Yeah, so what is the, what are the, the uh, governments that persecute Christians eventually going to do with this woman and you've seen this happen throughout history too well it's gonna, yeah the government that persecutes christians is going to persecute not persecute is going to attack this uh this beast or this prostitute as well And you can think of at times when the papacy was held back by Roman emperors, you know, the, the first ones. You can think of how uh, God used the Holy Roman Emperor at times that he went alongside of the, the papacy to persecute Christians and persecute the Lutherans to make them all Catholic. But there are times too, like during Luther's time when, uh, where the Holy Roman Emperor held back the, the papacy 
there's times I, rem I don't remember which king or emperor this was, but I remember the story of the, the king doing something wrong and the Pope made him stand outside in the snow, outside of where the Pope was for three days in the snow until he, he relented. Because if in, in that culture and that time period, if the Pope said you're not worthy to be king, you weren't king. The Pope had the power. But then there are times when uh, if the Pope lost a showdown with Napoleon. Uh, he was then deprived of papal states in the 1800s. So this battle continues today. Uh, you can see all kinds of battles going on about marriage laws, about abortion rights. You know, no idea where the papacy is with abortion right now. Well, they're allowing President Biden to take communion, mm -hmm. even though he's for abortion. Yep. Yeah. So finally, how will the Lord punish the prostitute for wickedness? So Sally already mentioned this. What's going to happen? She's going to be destroyed. Uh, so there I was thinking of, I read a story back when I was uh, working on this for the podcast of a young girl. I don't know what, what her parents were thinking, but this young lady had a, had a python as a pet. And the python would sleep with her in bed. Well, the young lady and her parents took the python to the vet one day because the python was just getting, was shrinking. It was, it was starving. And they were wondering what was wrong with it. It wasn't eating anything. Do you have any idea what the python was doing? Yeah, yeah he the vet said he was, the python was starving itself. So one night while the girl was sleeping, it would crush her and then swallow her. And I just, I, I thought that story was perfect for here because what's going to happen between these two beasts uh, or the imagery of the beast, the government and the apostate church that they work alongside of each other. You know, they're nice, okay, young, this young lady and this Python, but eventually God's going to say enough is enough. Uh, and they're going to fight against each other and it takes some of the pressure off of us. All right, any other questions on this? We're going to look a little bit more at Babylon and her fall in chapter 18. Prostituting the Catholic Church, I think you can include other false religions, but this particular thing is, you know, that the prostitute is specifically the papacy, I think. But, but when you talk about the beast, uh, is the apostate church is the one that looks like the church and it's all of its false teachings. And I think you can include all of those other false teachings around the world that aren't even looking like Christ. Yeah, and I think you could say something like Russia, right? You know, now they're allowing for more faith, more religion. But uh, back when you guys were kids, and and your and your parents uh, were kids, uh, you know, Russia had no religion at all. So there, I think yeah, that would be a good example of a nation that just had no religion, it's total atheism. Well, the people might have been religious, the government was the one. Correct. Yep. But that's kind of happening in China, too, and because um, a lot of the people that, well, our workers and all this here, you know, same they used to be. Yeah, China would be another great example of a nation that will not allow Christianity. Uh, yesterday I was over, so on Thursdays I go and I read to the to the students, but in third grade I'm not, I haven't read anything to them yet. The kids have all 
just been asking me questions. And they're tough questions like, what's your favorite movie? What's your favorite character? Uh, favorite book of the Bible? And then they, they had drawn, because last week I wanted to show them, just trying to build a relationship with these kids and showing them your pastor doesn't just talk, but I got some other talents too. So I drew a cartoon Superman for him on the board while I was talking to them. So they all wrote birthday cards out for me. And then they all had different superheroes. They're pretty good too. But Rachel Bushkoff, a third grade teacher, she had given me a present that she wanted me to open in front of them. And I bring it up because I re-mentioned China. So she was part of Friends of China for a number of years. And so she gave me a, a wall hanging and on that, and it's from China and it's uh, stylized Chinese characters of Bible stories from, it's really the story of salvation. And it's really cool. But in those kind in that culture, you, if you get caught with a Bible, you're probably in prison or dead. But to be able to have a, so to be able to have like a wall hanging like that, to be able to demonstrate your faith zone, remember the truth of salvation. All right, so let it, that would be it.